Welcome to episode 6 of Lars and Prads in Liverpool. I'm Lewis Jennings and over the next half hour you'll be hearing from three brilliant guests. But before you do, I just want to bring attention to the fact that it's National HIV Testing Week. People with HIV can and do live long and healthy lives, but it's vital to get tested. Early diagnosis can allow a person with HIV to live a normal lifespan. If your treatment is effective and your viral load is undetectable, it can prevent passing on HIV to anyone else. Waiting to get tested could lead to you becoming seriously ill. All it takes is a finger prick blood test, so let's all give HIV the middle finger. Back to this week's guest. First up we have Auntie Effie, a Scottish drag queen who is running Funny Boys Liverpool, which is a drag venue located underneath Navy Bar. Effie talks about the impact of coronavirus on drag queens and LGBT venues in general. Next we have Tom Masson, a freelancer and office worker who shares his coming out story. We also discuss the impact of Section 28 and the stigma that it's left behind. And then our final guest is Ellis Howard, who is this week's working class queero. Ellis is an actor and also runs Skinny, Shatters and Skins. So he talks about growing up working class and gay, and he also talks about why lack of education can sometimes lead to discrimination. So I'm here today with Auntie Effie, who currently runs the Funny Boys Events and Entertainment in Liverpool. Obviously, due to coronavirus, that's absolutely f things up, shall we say. Uh, so, Effie, if you just want to tell us a bit more about what's been going on. Funny Boys Liverpool, not Funny Boys, um, um, is a drag um, drag cabaret bar that should be open now, but just opened in Liverpool at the start of December. Um, my background is I do events. I do a lot of events, events management. I run a venue in Scotland and also co-own Scotland's premier theatrical drag trip. So because of doing all that, my work could ride up here and then get a phone call from the venue saying, hey, I now need someone to come and run Funny Boys Liverpool. Can you come down? Um, and we were currently running a dinner show um, with the plan being that that would continue on into January and February. But in January and February, we're changing the show. So I had a month to see the venue, get used to it. And then a brand new show was... Came, We'd have started at like January, February with bits and pieces for a new full show launching in March. Um, but we spanner in the works there now, but you just need to keep plodding on and rules change, rules don't change following that. Having to learn multiple sets of licensing because, you know, I'm licensed in Scotland for different things. Then coming down to Liverpool and going, you can't do that. Yes, we can. You can't do that. Yes, you can. You're in Liverpool now. So we can sell alcohol and off license. So Liverpool can sell an off and an off license 24 hours a day. We are 10 to 10. We've got different licenses to do with what you can do with entertainment wise. Um, but no, it's been a really fun experience and it's been going well. We were sold out for the whole of December. Um, and then lockdown again, which just means that we have to come back bigger from we do reopen, which is fine, but overall it has been a struggle for most people in the industry, whether it's entertainment or nightlife, because bear in mind the majority of us are self-employed, so that that's disappeared. Um, unfortunately, so that's disappeared. 
and follow the effing rule so that things can reopen and get us all back to some sense of normality and work. So what have you been doing to make money? Like, has it been hard? So in terms of when lockdown was first announced, we lost five grand. Our, the Vestigals lost five grand just on bookings that were being cancelled that couldn't be rebooked. So like hen parties and things that we had dates significant. Then we lose another 5,000 on shows that are transferred to this year because they're taking the place of a show that was booked this year if things reopen. Um, in terms of making money, I'm lucky enough that I do have a muggle job, um, which I'm followed from, um, but it is still a big chunk of my income away because my expenses are worked out in terms of the part-time I work at this muggle job and the money that I make from events management and doing drag. Um, so the events management and drag disappearing. Um, we sold a lot of our old costumes at the start of lockdown because we needed to do a clear out anyway. So that covered some expenses. We do live shows, which are free um, as well, occasionally for donations to sort of help in that sense. And basically just having to to begin with tighten your belt as to what you are spending but now you are hitting a stage where there's only so much tightening you can do and just hope that there's some sort of support or furlough gets extended but for other people who don't have the fallback of furlough having to rely on the self-employed grant isn't the self-employed grant wasn't necessarily fit for purpose because of how it's calculated and the percentage that they do like give you for it. Um, and it's yeah, having to adapt and process and also be up against everyone else adapting and processing. Where so yes, we now have a wider audience by doing online events, but whereas previously you knew on that night your audience were coming from this postal region and we're coming to you at that venue, you've now got the person that was two towns over and doing a show there is taking the same audience backwards and forwards. And to be honest, people are getting, I'm not going to say sick of the online sort of stuff, but you do notice that the digital content is drying up and the stuff that doesn't isn't drying up. People are losing interest in it. It was exciting to begin with, but people are now ready for live entertainment and reaction so what do you think then effie of like because i know in america a lot of like the drag race queens are currently getting flack for them um, performing um without abiding some of the rules like shangela and whatnot so what do you say to that like i know we're in lockdown now but say when we come out of lockdown what do you say to them type of critic where they're saying oh well you shouldn't really be put, putting on events because it's encouraging people to like come out and potentially flout lockdown rules like what what, what do you say to that Mm. I, I can understand that point. It depends on whether the events are being run smoothly um, and following like guidelines and stuff like that. It's one of the reasons why I was brought down is because I am inner-attentive sometimes on things like that. Um, but on the other hand, as we saw when they first started introducing the curfew in bars, people are going to do it regardless so you're better having entertainment venues and licensed venues open 
which are controlled, following guidelines, have test and trace, have sanitation. Whereas when you keep these venues shut, people were going to house parties and spreading in an uncontrolled way compared to if it's within a licensed premises who are having to follow some of the restrictions, you're then able to, you know, they do have test and trace, sanitation stations and stuff like that. So as long as you are doing it appropriately, it should be fine because unfortunately with, with the British public, they're going to do it anyway. If you don't have places open which with test and trace, they're going to have house parties and they're going to do it regardless. So provide it in a safe and secure way that can be can use test and trace or test and protect. Um, I think with a lot of the criticism in the US, Queens was because their restrictions are, are different, the, the restrictions weren't sort of there to protect the show for the show went ahead. There was no sort of in-between. It was, please don't do the shows, but there was nothing to stop them doing the show. And when the show was running, there isn't additional social distancing, test and trace, um, or sanitation procedures. Um, whereas as long as things like that are followed, there is social distancing, um, you are taking the details for test and trace, or track, uh, track and trace, um, as a way to allow it to continue and monitor, because you do still have people that need to make a living from this, um, as well as people need to make a living from this, and also the social factors, especially within like the LGBT community, who may not have supportive family or a large circle of home life support, and their support comes from. LGBT venues and places like that. Um, like we do offer, if anyone needs to talk to someone, they can message the Funny Boys Liverpool page and someone will sort of like, talk to them online. But if you just say, oh no, no bars, no entertainment, all people are going to do is go to Tesco or as the same other supermarkets are available, buy alcohol and start having house parties again. Um, it's better having it in a controlled way. However, I do believe that we need to get figures, uh, the numbers down and down drastically, um, which hopefully with the help of the vaccine and the current lockdown should help and allow us to open within the next couple of months and live with additional measures and social distancing going forward. But doing it incrementally to allow self-employed entertainers to get back to work allow the venues to reopen because just by keeping them shut, it's encouraging real breaking on the other side. So I'm here today with Tom Masson, who is a freelancer and also an office worker. And today he's going to be sharing his coming out story. So how are you today, Tom? I'm all right, thanks, Lewis, yourself. Yeah, not too bad. Surviving. We've, we've just been talking before um, the recording began, but we actually went to the same secondary school, didn't we? Yeah, we did, yeah. Holy family, yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't know this, but you came out during sixth form, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's correct. And how was that coming out in, during, I don't know, such formative years? 
it was quite um, a weird experience, I suppose, because I'd known, obviously, from a young age um, that I was different, um, especially from other boys. And um, when I was in the early years of high school, I suppose, I think I, I knew that I was gay, but I never re- was able to admit it to myself because of, you know, the stigma surrounding it. Yeah. Because um, I know that when I was in school, the um, Section 28 had obviously well and truly gone, but there was still stigma of, you know, if if you're gay, you're like, you're not one of the lads and, you mm. know, and you don't fit in kind of thing. Um, but yeah, um, I, can't, I waited kind of until um, sixth form, um because in the early years of high school, I was um, bullied um, both verbally and online, um, which I think is what made me stay in the closet for longer. And um, yeah, when I, by the time I got to sixth form, I had a great group of mates, and one of them was out as gay at the time, and other people were just dead cool with it. Um, and so, yeah, I was in my last year of sixth form, and I uh, um, yeah, I suppose because I was applying for university and, you know, all my mates were 10 and 18, you know, there was a lot going on anyway. But having, you know, knowing that I wanted to come out around that time was um, um, was also quite an experience as well in itself. Um, yeah, I, I came out to him in my last year of sixth form. Like what it was, me, me and two of my friends um, had been to a Lady Gaga concert in Manchester. During the show, um, she actually brought um, two guys on stage and helped them get engaged and then sung like an acoustic version of Born This Way, which is like the lyrics are very LGBT-oriented. Um, mm. um, and... Um, seeing like such a positive reaction from the audience and hear like talking about um, LGBT people in such a positive light, seeing one of my queeros doing that, I think gave me the reassurance. And um, yeah, and then a few days later, it, it was the day after one of my friends, um, 18th, and even though I was enjoying um, her 18th party, I didn't feel like I would, was being my true authentic self still. I wasn't, you know, getting up dancing or that. I was kind of just sat there having the old drink. And and then the next day I um um I texted um my friend and um, the guy who was um out as gay at the time and and just said I'm, I'm gay. Um you know have you got any advice on how I should come out? Um, and he he was said cool just said you've got nothing to worry about um, and um, he said uh, um, try and tell your parents first if you can which I did I told me mum um, and then I, I asked my mum to tell me dad because I was I was scared about telling me dad because he was old school and very masculine as well so um, but my dad was surprisingly dead cool with it and he said they kind of knew from a young from when I was young that I might be gay so it was good to you know have that reassurance and also when I told my friends they would accept and um, so yeah it was quite a big build up but also liberating as well very liberating it's mad isn't it because you were saying about you were scared to tell your dad because you always are scared to tell like the masculine figure in your life aren't you yeah and my dad um, was like 
a man's man was, um, you know, worked to a fire officer and played football and knew loads of blokes and loved going out the pub and stuff, you know, and where does Sam completely different from that and I think with his job as well he was um, also it was kind of drilled into him oh, if something bad happens you just have to man up and he kind of just took that and dealt with it whereas I've never really been like that because um, I've been from a young age it was very effeminate and stuff um, and I think yeah um, telling me that was the hardest but it was also um, liberating and as well and, and like the hard thing is my dad's actually passed away not long ago oh, so thanks him yeah so I suppose um, I'm glad I you know came out you know when I could and um, you know and the you know and after coming out I suppose I have more positive memories with him because you know when you grow up with your parents and you're a teenager and obviously because I was getting bullied um, when I was younger um, you know my dad would like say oh just man up I'd try and do that you know I tried to, to you know um, get into sports and like things that other boys liked, but I just couldn't because I wasn't being my true authentic self. And it wasn't until I got older that I can't had the courage to just say, well, so what? And luckily I was accepted. You said before about Lady Gaga being one of your queeros. Would you say that she has a big influence on like being your true authentic self? Yeah, definitely. I think because from a young age, seeing someone so different and so outspoken compared to other artists at the time. Yeah, and I had a few other queeros as well at the time, such as Madonna and also also Christina Aguilera, because her song, Beautiful, in the music video shows two guys kissing, and this was released in 2003. So I think seeing someone who was outspoken on gay rights back then and then it being relevant to my day I think also helped me as well that's the thing isn't it because you think of people think so much that like there's been gay rights around for a, a long time like and they might they might have been but even as early as like the early 2000s it was still so backwards and we hadn't progressed as much as a society even to this day I'd say yeah, definitely, because I think in the early 2000s, Section 28 was um, still in place for a bit, and even when it, it had been abolished, there was still this stigma, like this rule book, for, especially for young boys like myself who, um, were, um, who were conditioned from a young age, or you're at, if you want to fit in and you don't want to get bullied, you have to be like, extremely masculine and like football and be one of the lads and um if and and have banter as well whereas I wasn't like that. So yeah. 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 And with just with section twenty eight as well for like anyone who isn't listening, it was brought in was it nineteen eighty eight or was it nineteen eighty six? Um yeah. One or the other, yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely the 80s when Thatcher was still in power, yeah. And it was, you couldn't promote any material that had anything to do with, like, homosexuality. So it was like we didn't exist. 
And it's crazy to think that literally, what, 2000, 2003, whenever it was, when it, when it finally stopped, that like that was a thing. Like Our existence was still being censored by mainstream society, by our governments. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I think that when that music video for Beautiful um, by Christina Aguilera came out, it came out just before um, Section 28 was abolished. And apparently MTV used to censor out the gay kiss because Section 28 was still in place, whereas once it was abolished, um, it was the broadcast it. And seeing that at a young age was like, you know, a big, a, a big um, awakening, definitely. Do you, do you ever remember, um, it was around the same set, well, about 2001, it might have been, and a band called Tattoo, and the other song called All The Things She Said. Yeah, the two. Yeah, I've seen the music video with the two girls, yeah. Yeah, well, that got yeah. banned, didn't that? Because I remember that was one of the first times I remember as a kid, thinking, oh, you know, what, what's what's all the fuss about? What Like, what's going on? Why can't these two girls do whatever? Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember thinking that at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because, yeah, and I think because it was around the time Section 28 was still in place and, yeah, kind of casting off gay people as second-class citizens and, yeah, um, whereas now I'd like to think there's a bit more acceptance, especially in schools, um, but, you know, there's still instances of um, lack of acceptance or solidarity. Right, so my next guest is Ellis Howard, who is the brains behind Skinny Shatters the Skins. He's also an actor too, and he's currently living out in London, but he originally hails from Liverpool. How are you, Ellis? Hey, Ellis. I'm good, thank you. Very grateful to be on. Thank you so much for having me. No problem, thanks for coming on. So, how is it down in London at the moment? It's, you know what? It, it's actually good. Um, it's not that busy, it's quiet, which is such a rarity for London. Um, I spent the first lockdown in not a screen, um, which was mental and glorious. All my family are like frontline workers, so it was mad. Um, so now this one actually feels a lot more quiet and gives me chance to like read books and, and, and watch Netflix and do all of those types of things. But if I'm honest, I miss my dog. So I'm quite looking forward to the, when we get some sort of freedom so I can come back to Liverpool. Yeah, bless. Well, um, you were saying that then that you're from not, not a screen originally? which is a yeah. predominantly working-class area. Tell me a bit more then about, like, growing up being working-class and gay. Okay, that's that's an interesting question. I think I thought of my working-classness and my gayness as two separate binaries that never interlinked. My gayness, I, I think, I, I don't know whether I had proper language for it or identity for it outside of watching Oprah Winfrey and Joan Rivers on YouTube <laughs> late at night. That was the, my only, like foray into like the gay experience growing up but my working classness I knew like I knew it in my bones I was I was a quote-unquote activist although that has sometimes quite negative connotations which is which it shouldn't have and for like a long time I knew what class meant and I had a real identity um in terms of what was right and what was wrong um I I, I would cause fights at school around Thatcherism, around Docker strikes, around Arthur's got all of these things. I would always have an opinion. I would always try and fight and 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 figure out basically what my principles were in terms of class. And I don't think it was 
I guess I didn't know this at the time, but it wasn't until I went to London that I actually started to think about what gayness, my sexuality was outside of just being a thought in my head, you know, when, how I embodied that. Um, one of my best friend, Dina, said that I ran away to London and started boy georgian it, which is not exactly <laughs> true. But I guess I never felt suffocated. But I guess maybe subconsciously I was a little bit because I never... Uh, my, my, my school life and, like, going out with friends and all of those things, I guess, kind of was what was paramount in my mind before I came to London. And when I came to London, I guess I, I guess also I, I had gay, I, I got gay friends for the first time in London. So I guess my identity kind of evolved since then. And now that I'm a little bit older, I have been able to marry the two. My gay, um, being a gay lad, being a working class person and what that means for me, you know, as, as only I would say in the last year or two started to mould into um, being one complete person. So when when you've been in London, you said that you've like not like come to terms with your sexuality then, but like you've obviously explored that identity a bit more than you have when you've been with your working class identity. But how come? Because I, I thought going down to London, where like I've been there myself, and I feel like you know as soon as you live through accents, you get discriminated against straight away. So I feel I've I thought you'd like going down there, you would like confronted that identity a bit more. Oh, that that's interesting because I. Do, oh, don't get me wrong. I do get discriminated against here being a scouser. But what what is really interesting is, look, I come from a, I come from the most gorgeously rough and confrontational family in the in in in, in the world, and I it, it was in, it's interesting because being discriminated against being a scouser in London doesn't hurt me emotionally. It, whereas being if I was ever homophobe if someone ever gave me a homophobic slur it probably would affect me differently because I didn't wear it with, I, I kind of didn't wear my gayness with my chest at this point you know whereas yeah. being scouse I I I celebrate and it's such a triumph in my life you know it's the staple of my humor my politics why I love people the way I, I use my language is all because I was born and raised scouse so whilst I was confronted with stupid like classist remarks and like pubs and stuff I was like oh fuck off you idiot <laughs> also I think we're, we're armed with such a reverent wit that no way a Tory in fucking London is going to let me at a bar in Soho, you know. So whilst I, whilst it maybe it hit me a little bit, it didn't affect. I, de- I definitely wasn't going home and you, you know, sat, being sat and dwelling on it. But also, I think I have a very different experience of London. I went to I went to Guildhall, which is a liberal arts institution, to do it to do a degree in acting, and. I was met with the most diverse, like inclusive set of people who come from, you know, like myriad life experiences, gay, straight, bisexual, able-bodied, black, you know, it was just so. So my experience of London wasn't the norm. You know, I got I got put into this really cultural bubble where you could be whoever you wanted to be. You could run around with a fucking still a black wig on for all anyone cared. And everyone be like, oh, hello, we love you. So I guess I also was nurtured in that way to be to have so that when I did walk around the streets of London and someone might say something to me, which actually seldom happened. And and probably if it did happen, probably was because I probably was being a bit somewhere along the line and so I guess I was kind of shielded and bubbled in a way in the fact that I was doing a drama training 
So my, I, I guess my experience of London is atypical. You know what, though? I did find when I was in London, it's actually like everyone goes, oh, Tory Central, you know, this and that. But I actually find it's quite a very, what is it, is it a Labour city? I mean, obviously things swung in the last election to um, some Labour seats swung um, to Conservatives from Jeremy Corbyn to, to, to Boris. Um, but but yeah, lots of, pe- lots of people are, um, where I live in Muswell Hill is, is Labour, although it's quite an affluent area and all of those things. And I also think um, everyone, I, mean, I, I also find this in Liverpool, what, what is interesting to me around being, I don't know whether you'd agree, around, around like people being discriminatory or, 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 or nasty or whatever, is, is, is a fear that they haven't met those people, that they're not acquainted with them properly you know mm. and so it's I, and what I've actually found is people are trying their best most of the time and so I have the most gorgeous family who might say backward views on on a lot of different topics and it's just because they're not met with education you know and probably if they knew they were actively hurting someone it would really really break their hearts so I I, I found that to be my experience it, it less being about malice and more being about lack of education and resource and and then and that leading to fear you know so I, I do also I so I would agree basically in short that it's not just a bunch of Tories who hate working class people and vote against free school meals and that type of thing or still have an outlawed conversion therapy that is obviously the truth in this country with a lot of MPs but I think the average Joe walking down the street isn't that vile. So you've been discriminated for being gay and you've been discriminated for being working class how do they compare and how do they differentiate? I think there's a real triumph to being gay. Ocean Vong and um, Fran Leibowitz, two incredible queer people who I really like, um, speak a lot about gayness and what it allows you to do in terms of being an observer in society, being like, having a really interesting cultural viewpoint in which to view the world and how you navigate the world through, you know? And I, and I think there's a, there's a really gorgeous thing about being gay or, be, or quote unquote different and whatever you fall on that spectrum, that it allows you to not operate in the way that society was built for. And I think that has its advantages. And, and, and certainly me as an actor and as a writer, it really makes me feel outside of something in a way that I can comment and, you know, do those type of things. So I think that's a real positive about being gay and also being working class. I almost feel like an identity toward um justice and all of those things and so I think that's also a real positive in terms of being discriminated against how does it compare I do think I'm an actor I do think there are lots of backward views around gay people playing straight parts and um, when you self-identify as gay what that means Um, and whether your career then takes on a massively drastic turn you know, and mm. and so I guess employment wise, it becomes quite difficult, which is interesting because you're meant to be an artist and you're meant to be able to be able to run the gamut of those things. And your life is meant to just be used as like a conduit or a vessel for stories when actually the moment you put a big gay print on yourself by just saying, oh, yeah, I'm gay or oh, yeah, I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend or whatever. Suddenly I think our industry views you in a certain way. You're discriminated against like that. In terms of being working class, I, 
the only way I feel it, Lewis, is, is honestly when we vote is actual large structural changes. Or when I get on a Zoom call and I start to speak about something, there's the, oh, oh, I, I, I actively feel it. I don't know whether that's because I'm young um, or whether it's because I'm scouse. Um, but I don't feel I don't feel my working classness being prejudiced, being used as a prejudice against me. Only at top levels of like government, only when it comes to funding and those sorts of things, do I feel it. I mean, I'm sure it probably does happen when I go into auditions and I start speaking or have a certain level of like banter or whatever it is. But it's latent and it's 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 a lot more subtle than probably I'm aware of yet. Yeah, maybe in five years' time. We'll have another um, podcast and we'll, and we'll speak about it. And I'll go, actually, all of those years, I people were subtly being, you know, rude or, or whatever to me. But I don't think I'm at a place now where I, where, I, where I feel it yet. Maybe I'm just not privy to it. Going on to skinny shattered and skins. Uh, yeah. So I first started seeing them videos, Jordan. Was it the first lockdown when you started posting? Yeah, in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you just took off, didn't he? Like they got so much uh, attention, but rightfully so because everything you're saying in there it was important. You know, and especially as a working class person, I think any working class person who was watching them videos were like, you know what, he's on it. You you were given the full on. You need to be running our country doing them videos. So it's a god. You very much. Um, no, I, 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 I mean, it sounds a bit stupid, and I felt like, oh my god, I feel like I'm like 20 years later. I've started blogging, and that's what the world needs, isn't it? In the middle of a fucking pandemic, some little gay scouse kid to start like a blog, you know. But I, my, all of my family were, um, are, as I said earlier, are frontline workers, the nurses, and all of these things. And and I and I'm not, and I'm an actor and a writer, so I've got nothing of I. I felt like I had nothing of use to contribute and 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 the amount of are we living what is also scary I've just been talking about information what's also scary is the amount of like massive um disinformation you know fake news quote unquote and I saw so many people just like tweeting mad stuff or like or, or in my family group chat and I was like ah what is you know or and I I felt like, and I do, I've done this all my life. I, I set up events and I do all of these types of things with people I know. Um, but for the first time, I wanted to kind of reach out to that and be like, there's a massive crisis about, you know, about child hunger and about, the, I was doing this at a time where like my sister would come home um, just newly pregnant with no PPE after working with all of these people, you know, tired exhausted upset terrified and I just felt like there was a working class document um, a working class lifestyle that wasn't being documented you know we didn't have access to clean green spaces or these young boys who were breaking lockdown rules you, you, you also had to understand that these lads running around in North Face tracksuits weren't just devils or little rats you know, as the Daily Mail or the scum might want to speak about them as. We have to look further than that. We have to be better. And we have to say, actually, lots of these people, their only community is their friendships. They don't have community centres. They've got no football pitches. There's, God forbid there be a fucking apprenticeship scheme that most of them could get jobs on. But there's not. Most of them only have email addresses so they can sign on a dole, you know. Yeah. And so if they break lockdown rules, it's probably because they're also terrified. They might not want to admit it. You might not You might not understand that the first time you meet them. You might just think they're a little, you know, a little North Face weird and scum. It might be whatever, whatever, whatever. But, but like deep down, we've got to look at like structurally and generationally the way working class lives are architected. Equally, 
you, you know, keep distance. What about people in high rises and council flats and all of these types of things? And I, I just thought that there was a, a massive, a massive gap in the mainstream narrative. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to just talk about it. And if anything happened, I, I, I honestly, genuinely didn't expect anything to happen. And then so when it did, and and, and it, got, it got the first video got over a million views on it, which is mad. And, and and since then, it's actually been a gorgeous vehicle for now I work with Church Action and Poverty who work on the Marcus Rashford campaign. And we do, it, it's really transformed into how can we create like sustained change? I text my, I text, we, I do loads of work at Christmas time, getting toys for people across the city, um, supporting lots of food banks with Ian Byrne. I text, who, who's the MP for West Derby, I text my MP, Dan Carden, like every day I'm texting now about the environmental bill. And so I think it, what, what I found most about that experience is that when you, when you kind of like step up and step out and you have a genuine opinion about something or your lived experience counts, you know, people want to hear it. And I, as we were saying before about people, being concerned with their lives or, or trying their best. Lots of people messaged me and were like, I had no idea this was happening. People who live very different lifestyles to the one I live in Liverpool, you know, and and, and their support was, um, was honestly amazing. And granted, that was a moment of, in time, but it's how you capitalise that and keep the momentum going so that we can get better provision for working class people, you know. <laughs> that's all for this week's episode if you want to come on or you know anyone who does email loud and proud in at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook instagram and twitter at loud and proud in we're also available on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and stitcher i'm also excited to announce that we're also featured on apple tv so yeah that's all for this week i'll see you next time